Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this evening to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter four. First Corinthians chapter four, verses one through five. Hear now the word, the living God. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living God, we beseech thee that you would grant unto our hearts what we need by the Spirit to hear the word, to receive it, for it to be applied to our souls deep down, for us to have food upon which to feast in the week ahead. We ask your blessing upon the preaching of the word of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. A question to consider together this evening would be this, what does faithful service look like? Of course, we have perhaps a variety of answers, faithful service in our roles as husband and wife, as a parent or grandparent in the workplace, and depending on your job, that might look different. The rubric for how you're measured in your workplace is going to vary. But as we think about the church of Jesus Christ, as we think about being Christians, sons and daughters of God, what does faithful service look like? Perhaps we could also ask the question, what does faithful living look like? And maybe when we think of living or serving in a faithful way, we think of the subsequent question, Where should our praise come from? What praise matters in the end? The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, takes up this question. And he ultimately arrives in the final verse of our text at the true praise that we should be living for. The true opinion that matters I want us to consider three things regarding the judgment of praise. But let's walk through this text in order to see them. We need to deal with the first two verses before we dive into this question. Because the context of this is Paul is the apostles being considered as faithful 
look at chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Of course, this is the backdrop to the question, isn't it? Because in chapter 3, there is that great chapter about divisions in the church. I follow this one. I follow that one. Paul, finishing this discussion, says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. The initial context would be the apostles. So what is the proper focus of these men initially? And then what can we glean regarding where our praise should come from? We see in verses 1 and 2 that the immediate context in which Paul speaks is that of the servants of Christ, the apostles. And he says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. That's what an apostle was. That's what a minister is, a servant of Christ. But secondly, you see there the phrase, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, before we deal with the question of where our praise should be based, where it should come from, how we should think about proper judgment as faithful or not, we do need to consider this phrase. I think we have some idea as to what is meant by servants of Christ, but what is a steward of the mysteries of God? Well, the apostles, and then following them, ministers or elders would be stewards of the mysteries of God. Broadly speaking, God's revelation, not limited to the gospel, but certainly including it. Yes, doctrine. But we need to understand that down through the ages of the church, this has come to include more than simply doctrine. For instance, listen to the Puritan Matthew Poole, and he's not alone, by the way. He says this, Such to whom God hath committed his word and sacraments to dispense out unto his church. The word mystery signifieth anything that is secret, but more especially it signifieth a divine secret represented by signs and figures. Now that's... A Puritan writing 400 years ago. Let me read to you the name of uh, the words of another minister who just some few years ago went to be with the Lord. This is what the pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul said about this phrase. The scriptures teach that God gives to ministers the management or stewardship of the sacred mysteries. When Paul refers to, quote, stewards of the mysteries of God, the church understands that to include being stewards of the sacraments. Though we must not make an identity between the New Testament use of the word mystery and our word sacrament, there remains a historic link between the words. And what is that historic link? Well, the Latin word sacrament sacramentum, where we get our English word sacrament, is the word that comes from that Greek word mysterion or mysteries. The church down through the ages has come to see, has come to understood this text as a proof text for the understanding that those who should administer the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper would be faithful servants, would be elders, pastors, ministers. You may say, well, Do we see that in any Baptist writings? 
I'm glad you ask. Chapter 28, paragraph 2 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith says this regarding baptism and the Lord's Supper. These holy appointments are to be administered by those only who are qualified and thereunto called according to the commission of Christ. And as one of the marker texts that they use, they write 1 Corinthians 4, 1. You see, in the history of the church, there is an understood position that ministers are indeed servants of Christ, but they have been tasked with being stewards, managers of the mysteries of God, of those precious signs and figures that point to the realities of the gospel. In one sense, as we dive into this text, Paul is saying, consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And you see, that's the bridge from chapter three into our focus, which is verses three through five tonight. Of course, our confession simply makes the statement, we uphold that here in our church, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are to be administered by the elders. But I want us to then dive deeper into what that word faithful looks like. What does faithful living look like? Where is true praise to be found. I want us to see three things this evening regarding the praise that is to be given unto the faithful. Yes, the faithful minister, but ultimately every Christian who names the name of Christ. The first thing that we can see in this text is that it is not based on the judgment of others. It's not based on the judgment of others. Again, verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. The first thing that we see is that ultimately, the value of our service, the praise that we ought to be living for, is not the praise of others. Paul says, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. Now that word translated in the New King James and many of your translations as court is literally the word day. So Paul is essentially saying, I don't live for the judgment day of man. That's not the day that I'm living for, the day in which men pass judgments. We often live our lives focusing on man's judgments or man's day. That's where we are, isn't it? The day of the Lord has not yet come. It cometh soon. But we live in a time when people make judgments about one another. And part of that reality is that we often find ourselves living for the judgments, positive judgments, and praise of others. I think of that lyric and that Wonderful hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not, nor, you know the next line? Man's empty praise. Do you know the struggle with that song, if I'm honest with myself when I sing it, so often do we consider man's praise empty? 
I would submit to you that if we're singing in honesty, oftentimes we might say, riches I heed not most of the time, nor man's rich praise. Because how often do we long for the praise of others? Paul will say, here's what you need to do. You need to consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We want to be faithful, but ultimately it's not your judgment that we're living for. Friends, whose judgment are you living for? Whose praise do you long to hear? You can turn over to this passage in John or hear me read it, but remember John 12 and verse 43. The word of God says this, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And then John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a diagnosis. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Imagine that, boys and girls. There are actually rulers in the day in which Jesus is walking on the earth, and they've come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But they're quiet about it because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Sometimes we're quiet about our faith because we want other people to praise us out loud. But sometimes it's the opposite. We're quiet about our faith because we don't want anyone to say anything. It's not that the praise that we're after is words of affirmation, words of adulation. It's we want to avoid the negative words. That's the kind of praise we want. I just want to make it through my week without anybody thinking that I'm weird for being a Jesus follower. Paul can say the first thing regarding being faithful, yes, as a servant of Christ, but as a Christian, is that he is not concerned about the judgment of man's day. Friend, are you terrified of what others think of you? Are you resting your hopes in what others say about you? Do you feel that instant dart in your heart when it seems as though someone has said something negative about you? Do you find yourself in a place of anxiety or depression when you realize that the praise that you want from others, the affirmation that you want from others is not coming? Paul can say the first reality about being faithful as a servant of Christ is that it's not a faithfulness declared in man's court or man's day. Now make no mistake, do we not want Barnabases in the church of Jesus Christ? Do we not want encouragers? It's one of the beautiful things about serving in this particular local church in this season is that many of you are like Barnabas to me, to the elders, to our deacons, to our families. And that's a precious reality. Every once in a while, I have to remind myself, though, that there are brothers all over the world pastoring in flocks where that's not the case. And oh, that those men who don't have a congregation full of Barnabases to encourage them would remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.3. It is not the judgment of man's day 
that I'm living for. It's not the empty praise of man. No, Paul can say, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or a human court. And again, the word court there is, it's it's a good word to use, but he's not putting down the civil magistrate. This has nothing to do with the civil magistrate. The context is, I am not focused on the praise and adulation and declarations of rightness of men. True praise, faithful service, is not based on the judgment of others. But secondly, Paul says something interesting at the very end of verse 3, doesn't he? Because not only is true praise or faithful living not based on the judgment of others, it's also not based on the judgment of self. (laughs) Look what he says there. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now that may seem strange. I mean, aren't we supposed to take stock of our lives? Isn't Paul the one who often calls us to do such a thing? But he gives the answer in verse 4. Why do you not judge yourself, Paul? I get not living for the praise of men, but why are you saying that you do not even judge yourself? Verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. You see, he's saying, I don't know anything that currently indicts me. Yes, I'm a sinner. This is the same man that can say, I'm the chief of sinners. But he doesn't know any ongoing reason why he shouldn't be considered a faithful servant of Christ. But just because he can't bring it to mind doesn't justify him before the Lord. You see, he's not living for the judgment and praise of others but he's also not getting a pass as if he is the righteous judge. No, he knows who the judge is. He knows where true praise must come from. You see, some of us have grown far enough in our sanctification that what other people think about us matters less and less. Others of us, it's not that we're super sanctified, it's just that we've gotten older And the older we get, we actually just, we care less. (laughs) I don't know that that's sanctification in every case. Perhaps in my case, it's just, you know, I'm in my 40s. But Paul can say, it's not just that I'm not concerned about the praise of men. It's also that I am not at a place where I think because I think positive judgments of myself, that that's where judgment rests. Notice that Paul is more concerned with the judgment of God than man to include his own self-judgment. You see, brothers and sisters, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 4 helps us to see this. We don't acquit ourselves. We are not the final seat of authority. How often can we hear sermons about living for the praise of men and we can check the block and say, you know, that used to be something I wrestled with, but I'm okay now, but Now the thing that we really wrestle with if we do the work before the Lord of reflecting upon our own hearts is that we place way too much value on what we think of ourselves. And Paul can say, even though I can't think of anything, even though that that there doesn't seem to be in me something that indicts me, I'm not justified 
by my own lips. No. He who judges me is the Lord. This takes us, doesn't it, to the question of pride and arrogance. A question here might be to ask you to consider, is there a humility about you? The psalmist, in various ways, points to this reality. I'll turn with me if you like or hear them read, but Psalm 115, Psalm 115, verse 1. Some of you could quote it from memory, but there the psalmist writes this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Or how about Psalm 131, verse 1. Lord, this is a song of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, boys and girls, proud, arrogant, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I consider myself, my, concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Charles Spurgeon would say of this particular psalm, it was one of the shortest psalms in all of the Psalter, but one of the hardest to live out. A quiet humility before the Lord, like a baby in its mother's lap. No, the scriptures do call us to a humility. But so often, if we're honest, one of the things that we wrestle with is either the desire for the praise of those around us or we rest comfortably in our own judgment of ourselves. But is not our heart deceitfully wicked? Is not our heart so difficult to understand? Are we sure that just because we judge ourselves well in a matter that that is the end of the question? Paul would say certainly not. He who judges me is the Lord. So he will go on to say in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal and then isn't this in one sense a very sobering statement, and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So this takes us then to the reality that true praise, true faithful living as a servant of Christ is based on the judgment of God. It's based on the judgment of God. Now, we need to make a distinction regarding the word judgment and then consider a few final things. When we're talking about judgment, when we're talking about the counsels of our hearts, we need to keep, in one sense, that separate from justification by faith alone. The judgment for sin has been made. Christ has taken the believer's sin debt. Christ, by faith alone, has granted a record of perfect perfection in which the believer is clothed. What we're talking about here is faithful service unto Christ. So don't confuse these as if Paul is saying, 
you shouldn't ever consider yourself a Christian. You shouldn't ever consider yourself saved. Don't judge anything till the final day. We'll see who's Christian and who's not. No, we boldly confess that we have every right to have assurance of faith brought on by the Spirit because of the promises of Christ and the gospel. What we're talking about here is the kind of praise that may or may not come from the Lord on that day. This is true praise, the judgment of God. Do we not all want to hear that phrase in Matthew 25, 23? The very end of the parable, that phrase that's been turned into the banner over many of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. That's true praise. But the problem is, so often we are so short-sighted that we can't wait for that day, so we long for lesser praise to come now. The praise of others. Or resting in our own judgment of self. I did a good job there. I thought that was decent. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Meanwhile, that day to come when the Lord Christ will say of his faithful servants, well done. That's too far off for us to have in view. And so in our short-sightedness, it's the words of men or the words of our own heart for which we live. Ask yourself a few diagnostic questions. When I serve in this church in a particular way and it is not recognized, am I despondent, angry, down? When it seems as though people in my life have a different opinion than mine, does it frustrate me? Does it bother me? When I am not the center of attention in a conversation, does that bother me? When I serve someone, am I willing to do it in such a way that no one but the Lord would know? Am I content to serve God Longing for the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will say of my life, lived out by his grace through his spirit alone, well done, good and faithful servant. Or am I only content if I hear lesser words now from others? You see, true praise that Paul presses us for is not the praise based on the judgment of others. There would be far less anxiety and depression in our day if our hearts weren't fixated on what other people think about us. And the fact that we put all of those thoughts out loud now on the World Wide Web certainly doesn't hurt or help. But judgment is not based on the praise of others, nor can we rest in what we think of ourselves. No, we have to fix our view. We have to fix our view on the judgment of God. And here, 
Paul gives us, at least in part, some things to consider. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels, motives of the hearts. A very sobering question for us to consider is, if the secrets of your heart were laid bare, would you survive it? You see, we do live in a world in which the outward behavior is what everyone sees. Very infrequently do people see our hearts. Now, we know what the Lord Jesus Christ said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. So if your mouth is full of trash talk, then that shows us what your heart is meditating on. Of course, yes. But... Paul seems to have in view the idea that there may come a time when it seems as though those outwardly who were praised, they did all the right things. They preached all the right sermons. They swept all the right church floors. But the counsels and motives of their hearts will be examined. Paul is living for the day in which King Jesus will say of not only his actions, but also the motives of his heart, well done. Well, the Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17.9 says, as we referenced earlier, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been clothed in the righteousness of the Son of God. He is our entrance into eternity. And yet, we struggle with remaining sin. And one of the things that we ought to consider is not simply how we've cleaned ourselves up as we walk with Christ on the outside, but how our hearts are doing. It's an interesting question. If we were to change in our church or the church culture of America, The question, how are you doing, is probably the number one question, the answer of which means most Christians are breaking the ninth commandment. How are you doing? I'm good. (laughs) Meaning, I don't want to talk about it. But what if we change the question, how are you doing, to how goes it with your heart? I'm not advocating that we ask each other that. But doesn't Paul say, it's not the judgment of men. It's not resting even in what we think about ourselves. We're not the judge. But our judgment is from the Lord, and each one's praise will come from God. So brothers and sisters, even though the initial context of this passage is Paul defending his apostleship in a sense and making clear that for this particular church to move forward, they needed to to stop all of the bickering of who is going to follow which person. He gives us some diagnosis regarding a challenging issue for every Christian. What praise are you living for? 
where will you rest? The praise of others, you know, the challenge with living for the praise of others is it's never satisfying enough. It's got to keep coming. Or is it your own self-praise in which so often because of our short-sightedness and blindness, we miss things. We assume that we're doing okay and we're not. Or is it living for the praise of God? Now, of course, the only people who will live for the praise of God with all their hearts are those who know that before the living God, their hearts are wicked and they need a Savior. They need to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Listen, the pagan world around you is not concerned about the praise that comes from God. And if they are, they're not talking about the God of which we speak. We are the only ones, we meaning believers, who will press into this third category, not the praise of others, not the praise of self, but the judgment and praise of God. It's believers who are living for this. It's because we know the truth of God's word that we are sinners and but by the grace of God we would experience eternal wrath. But God, as Paul says elsewhere, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. We're united to Christ So now, as our confession says, as we are sanctified, the Lord receives our good works. He receives even the good works that come sometimes with almost pure but not quite pure motives of heart. No, our works are received by God through Christ and we can actually live under the smile of King Jesus. But it's worth hearing Paul out because so often we are tempted. Everything in our world screams, live for the praise of others. Or don't worry about what they say, you do you. Live for your own self-praise. If you're good in your own eyes, that's great. What does Paul say? But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court or in the human day. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then... Each one's praise will come from God. Whose praise are you living for? Fallible, sinful men whose lives are like a vapor? Your own self-justification, blind as you can be, just like me so often? Or are you living for the praise of the pristine judge who knows all things? He knows the end from the beginning. And the judge who in his love and mercy sent his son to be your perfect and complete substitute. Who do you want to praise you? 
answer that question and then live accordingly for the glory of God. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that you would give us a perspective on these matters. Help us, O Lord, for if we're honest, we often live for the wrong voice of praise. Help us to take up your word and to live taking the long view with your voice of praise in view. We ask that you would help us, for we are weak so often. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.